Hello, this is Cody, and I'm your host. This is the Disciple Life Podcast. I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this. I do apologize that it's been a couple weeks since I've posted. Um, I could give you a bunch of excuses, but what would it matter? I am sorry. And uh, maybe we'll just stay on schedule as best as possible in the future. But I probably won't, because the way I am... Uh, anyway... I want to go ahead and, and move on into the rest of this podcast. Uh, I think that I feel like I'm, I'm happy with my testimony in the first three episodes. There's a lot more that I could talk about, but I, I think I'm done there. I feel, I feel okay with that. I think what I'll do is throughout the next uh, number of episodes, uh, anecdotes from different parts of my testimony, maybe I might expand on or talk about, but anyway, I, I want to get on into some some very basic um, doctrinal beliefs that I hold. Um, I, I mentioned it throughout the testimony of how I found out about these things and how I read about these things, and then you know through Bible study with others and in personal reading and then study of my own, you know I've I've come to see these things a little bit more clearly. And uh, an interesting story about uh, when we were going through our first Bible study with Brother Simpson. Um, Samantha, she she was teaching younger kids at the time, so her mind was very visual, and she had been doing a lot of uh, imagery with the kids, and you know, and drawing things and teaching them in that way. And so she's going through this Bible study with Brother Roger Simpson, and and she draws out this stick figure image. Um, she it was very rudimentary, and it was just it was it was not that it she was wasn't trying or that she's a bad artist. She was just trying to quickly get her thoughts on paper, and she did that. And I have been teaching from that image. I've expanded it a little bit and um, put a little bit better pictures <laughs> on it. Uh, but this picture I'm going to post to my Facebook page um, as a post on my page. So if you're listening to this podcast, you need to go by, go to my Facebook, and and download that picture. And, and use that image as, as I go through these next few uh, episodes. Um, it was just a really good picture. It was a really good idea. And so as, as, I'm, as I put some actual images, you'll see what I'm talking about. It, um, it just works well. So I want to go into this Bible study. I want to get into it. And as I, as I start, I'm going to lay just a little bit of a biblical foundation of how we study the Bible as apostolic Pentecostals. Um, and today I'm specifically going to be talking about repentance. Um, we re- we believe that if you don't repent of sins, then there's um, there's nothing else. I mean, there's that's it. You you have to begin with repentance, okay? Um, and and so I'm going to talk about repentance today. But before I do, let me lay a little bit of a biblical foundation for our study. Second uh, Timothy three and sixteen, uh, and actually verse seventeen as well says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto good work, unto all good works. Excuse me. So, this is all Scripture. It's Genesis chapter one, verse one, all the way to Revelations twenty-two and verse twenty-one. It's every bit of it. You can't take anything out, and you can't add anything to it. There's 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 no writer out there. Um, I'm looking at my library here, and I've got some stuff by. Um, gosh, what's his name? Hold on one second. I got to stand up. 
by Billy Graham. Okay, the evangelist Billy Graham, like one of the, and I've got a lot of his books, and I love his books. I think I've got like fifteen of them, uh, but it's not scripture. Nothing he writes is scripture. I've got a, a lot of books from um, many authors, and and they're great biblical authors. Authors, but their words in those in those books are not scripture. The only scriptures is is what's in your Bible. Uh, it was what God ordained to be the scripture. Um, it says that all scripture is profitable. It's beneficial. It's useful. It says that it's it's profitable for doctrine. Okay. Anything we need to learn or understand or uh, anything we teach, Scripture is where we should teach it from. And I know there's uh, there's some great resources and commentaries, and I'm not saying we shouldn't use commentaries and, and Billy Graham and Max Lucado and all of these guys that write great books about the Scriptures. I'm not saying that, that they aren't important and they aren't valid. My point is, is that you really don't need that, though. For doctrine, for reproof, you know, uh, for reproof is that one Scripture— here in one spot has the ability to prove or, or or disprove a doctrine of another spot so it all has to work together scripture all scripture is given for correction it has the right and the ability to determine when humanity when you and i are wrong and and it has the ability to tell us what is right and wrong and when we read that and we see that something we're doing is wrong we understand that to be sin that's what the scripture says for us uh, the scripture does for us it also finally finishing up with the second timothy 3 verse 16 says it's profitable for instruction in righteousness furthermore it has the authority to determine what is righteous and what is not scripture does verse 17 i'll read it again that the man of god or woman of god man as in it's not misogynist here is not meaning all only males it's talking about human race as man as a as a race it may be perfect it's um it's it's every one of us are included in this scripture here you could easily re- replace the word man with woman and it wouldn't mess the scripture up at all it is important to note that all of god's creation is included in his abundant promises so this is what scripture's for Okay, Second Peter one verses twenty through twenty one. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This simply means that the scriptures here, when written by Paul, that you read you read the letters to, to the Ephesians and the Corinthians, you have to understand that the Bible's telling us that it's not Paul's interpretation of what God wanted to say. He he was being moved by the Holy Ghost. The Old Testament prophets, as they spoke the the things that God was going to do to humanity or for humanity, was not their interpretation. It was it was God moving on them and them speaking or writing as they they felt that the Lord was speaking to them. And and if the Scripture tells us this, we must trust that every word in that Scripture in our Bible, all Scripture is it's not the interpretation of the 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 man who might be in entitled to the writing we have to understand that it's that it's god and then here's another better maybe not a better but a a further more a little bit more detailed uh, description it says in in verse 21 that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man you know the the truth is no matter how spiritual or um, godly you may be a lot of the premises within our text 
go against our flesh. We, our, our flesh doesn't like it. The things that we're told to do and, and told not to do, fasting, let's talk about fasting. No man out there would have it been his own idea to, hey, let's let's do a water-only fast or let's do a no-food, no-liquid fast. That's not in the flesh of man. That's not in the will of man to do. Now, we do understand now that it's there are some medical benefits and things like that, but at the end of the day, when we really get down to it, it's not the will of man that we fast, and that's why we struggle with it so much. It's not the will of of most men and most women to to be monogamous, but God designed it that way, and He He understands that that's the best, most profitable way for us. It's it's a lot of these things that we're called to do as Christians to separate ourselves from things that. Uh, drugs and alcohol that for a season are fun and feel good that's not in the will of man but so that helps us to understand that these scriptures these rules if you want to put them that way they're really much more like guidelines god is saying if you if you will hold to my guidelines and and obey my statutes and commandments you'll be blessed by it we we understand that this is the holy ghost speaking through these scriptures uh, I'm just laying a foundation of how I study the Bible and how I think most of us already studied the Bible. But if you've never read these scriptures, go back through it. That was Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. The next one we're going to look through here is 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So here's a scripture. This is the writer here speaking to the church at that point, and he's saying, "Hey, I'm I'm really glad. I'm really happy that when I came to you and I gave and I preached to you the word, you didn't receive it as you as it was a word from me. You received it as it was a word from God." I, I, he's basically saying, "I'm thankful for that. You know, I'm thankful that you you didn't you you kind of look past me as the as the preacher or the teacher." And you, you understood it to be the Word of God. So uh, that's the same way we're looking at Scripture today. And when we, when we hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, we, we must understand or, or, or do our best to understand that it's not, um, it's not my ideas. I, I, it's the Word of God. And I'm doing my best to not interpret uh, anything extra than what the Scripture just says. If anything, I, I'm doing a... A basic explanation, and and I want to leave it at that. I don't want to put my opinion into this a lot, um, although sometimes opinion is necessary. But th- that's it. We've got to when we read the Word of God, when we read a, a Bible study, our testimony uh, of, of the Word, we have to receive it as it is God's Word, and that's where um, it's actually going to be able to work in us. First Thessalonians two and thirteen. Um, final scripture here for our foundation is Hebrews four and twelve. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and to the joints and marrow, and a discerner, and is a discerner, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, it doesn't take a Bible study. It doesn't take a preacher preaching a big, fancy conference message. It doesn't take an evangelist uh, or someone used in the gifts of the Spirit to come into the church and to read your mail, per se. All it takes is the Word of God. And you, every one of us knows, I know for myself, maybe I'll speak for myself and not for anybody else. I read the Scripture, 
And as I read the scripture, the Lord has this way about it. It's like he knows he knows exactly what my thoughts and intents are, and he makes that known to me. And whether I acknowledge it or not, that's up to me. But regardless of my acknowledging of of my sin or my shortcomings or my failures, God knows what my intents are, and and he makes it plain to me whenever I read his scriptures. That's why somebody who doesn't love the Lord won't spend a lot of time reading his scriptures. They they're so convicted by the word that they 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 literally won't read, um, and so. If you're in a position of life where you're not spending a lot of time in the Word, um, I would encourage you, get back in the Word. And, and maybe do a study on the difference between condemnation and conviction uh, to make sure that you understand rightly what is when the Word convicts you of your wrongdoing. It's not God trying to destroy you. It's trying to. It's God trying to bring you out of that. Um so anyway, let's move on. That was a foundation. I'm going to go over those scriptures one more time just so you know. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. First, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 through 21. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13. And Hebrews 4 and 12. A great biblical foundation of how I study the Bible every time. Um, at least I try to. Most of the time, if I'm going to sit down and study, I sit down and I read those four passages to remind myself of what my how I personally like to study. Um, so as we move into repentance, I mentioned this a little bit in my testimony episodes, but we're going to move into a study of repentance and understanding why we repent and how we repent, um, some of the, the nuances of, of the word repentance. And, and I want to start here with the concept or the law of first mention. When you are studying your Bible, and you see a word, and it doesn't matter where you are in the text, maybe you're in the New Testament in the book of John, and you see a word that you don't understand or don't know. Um, what you can do is, is you, can, you can do a, a concordance search and find the first time that that word was mentioned in the text. And it's probably going to take you back to Genesis or Exodus or one of the, 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 the Torah, one of the five books of the law, and, and you're going to find that word used. And not every word is this way. Not every word is that early in the Bible. I mean, it, the, the Bible is a, uh, an evolutionary text. It, it didn't start complete. Uh, although the Word of God has always been there, men started writing it about 6,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, however long it was, and they stopped writing it uh, around 2,000 years ago. So in our time, it is evolutionary. So every word may not be um, in Genesis, every new word. So, so don't think that just because you read a word in John that it's going to be in Genesis and that's going to be where the definition is not what I'm saying. But... The law of first mention, it's a, it's a rule, it's a concept, it's not necessarily a law. Um, it's to, to understand or define a particular word of doctrine, we generally are going to try to find it the first place that it's used in Scripture or, or the first time that it's revealed to us. And we're going to study, we're going to begin by studying that passage. The Bible's first mention of a concept is generally the simplest and most basic definition. That's why it's important to find that one. We then can take this simple, basic definition and find other passages for reproof and then develop the, the doctrine or the teaching more completely upon that foundation using this uh, conglomerate of supporting scriptures. And so that's uh, the concept or the rule of first mention. 
Well, it's it's interesting that very soon into your text, six chapters into the Bible, Genesis chapter 6, we find where the, the concept of repentance is first mentioned. And in in this place, it, it doesn't mean to us the same thing as it would have meant to them. Um they, the people of that day were on the on the negative side of repentance. Thank God that we now can be on the positive side, and I'll explain that as we go. But what happens here, and I'm going to read through Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. This is the first time in our Bible that the word repentance, the concept of repentance is mentioned. And in these three verses we find uh, some very important things that we have to understand about the word and concept of repentance. The first thing is Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, and God saw. The, the, the very first concept of repentance that you and I have to understand if we're going to uh, institute that uh, into our lives properly is that we have to first and foremost, let me back up slightly. God initially understood. He saw that something wasn't right. He's, this word saw here, uh, it, it's more than just looking upon something. It's a very deep understanding of what was going on. God had a understanding of the failure of the world at that time. God saw. So, the very first thing that we must do, and this is why the, the Word of God is quicker than a two-edged sword dividing asunder is because when we when we read the word another passage says thy word have i hid in my heart i think psalm 119 20 something i don't know i I didn't prepare that one but thy word have i hid in my heart that i might not sin against thee The, the 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 word of god is what allows us to understand what is sin and what is not sin it is the moral uh compass in our life so, so we, we begin to read our word and we, uh, we're reading a passage or a concept or something about something that we're doing wrong. Let me, maybe we could use extortion or uh, money laundering or you know, something to do with a, a sin of money. And we're reading about it and we all of a sudden realize that that's, part, that's something we do and that we shouldn't do it. We understand. So just like God initially saw that the wickedness of man was great, we begin to have an understanding of our sin. And then in verse 6 it says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Here's our next big um, understanding or, or helping us to build a definition of the word repented here, or repentance. is First is understanding, and then with understanding of the negatives uh, of this situation, we, we see that God is grieved. This is deep sorrow. It's trouble, annoyance. Um, it's conveying a negative emotion towards something uh, or about something. And so not only do we have to see and understand that we're sinning of some some way, we also then have to be actually grieved, actually have to have a, a negative emotion towards it. 
And this is interesting to most people who do understand and finally reach repentance. Uh, I can go back to my alcohol addiction where I remember years ago, 10, 12 years ago, I had no problem with it. I drank and I would do all kind of stuff and it was not a problem. I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I justified it. Um, it. It was just there was no negatives to it. The hangover wasn't even negative. Partying out late every night wasn't negative. Um, that was my, my mentality. But then as I started reading the Bible and started understanding God a little bit more, alcohol began to grieve me. It began to make me feel bad. It began to, I began to realize how negative it was for me. So I understood, and then I grieved. And here's the final thing that at least in this basic definition here, and this is a very round, well-rounded basic definition. It says, uh, I will destroy man whom I have created. So with repentance, there must be understanding, there must be a grievance, and then there must be the willingness and desire to destroy. Destruction is a major tenet or, or part of repentance. You have not properly repented. Matter of fact, you have not repented unless destruction is complete. And, and at this point, see, he's, God is saying, I will repent. You know, he, he's, he hasn't technically repented yet, okay? He's only understanding that and, and making the decision that he will repent, okay? Um, so let's summarize it up. So what is repentance? To see or to understand that something is wrong, to be grieved over it to the point of wanting or, or being willing to eradicate it from your life, and then finally realizing that it's, our fault, and actually destroying it. Okay, Webster's Dictionary says this about it. To feel sorry for an error or for a sin. To feel such regret over an action or intention as to change one's mind. It's very interesting that Webster has a very close definition to these three scriptural uh, points. And I wanted to make that point first, especially with the law of first mention, is a lot of times you don't need a dictionary to figure out what the word means. You need to look at the scripture. There's enough in our word of God to give us everything that we need to, to understand uh, what a word might mean. And, and, I, and I, I'm not opposed to supplement, I promise. I, I don't want it to sound that way. I do. I have dictionaries all over my office here. I have commentaries. I, have, uh, I watch a lot of YouTube videos on certain topics. I'm, I love extra-biblical commentary. My point that I'm trying to make to you, and I think that we need to really understand, is that it's not necessary. It's great to have. It's, it's a nice additive, but it's not necessary. Okay, moving on from that soapbox. Now, if you have not yet, you need to go to my Facebook page and you need to download, save that image that's, I have posted it today. Um, oh, my. You know what? What if you listen to this post in three months? How am I going to make that happen? I think I'm going to post a link or something. But anyway, check Facebook. Check the links. I'll make something happen. Check the description uh, in the description box of the, box of the podcast. We'll make sure that that image is available to you in some form or fashion. I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. Maybe somebody that knows um, technology could help me with that. Regardless, if you, this podcast is going to make, or this episode is going to make good sense, or better sense, you would need to be able to look at that image. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't have that image, um, pause it and look at the description or something. Anyway, cool. So, we're going to start with Noah. So, the first column um, 
so so what you would see if you're looking at this image is image you, you've got five rows from top to bottom and you've got three columns from left to right uh, we're going to start with the top row and the left column this is uh, an image of the the flood of noah or, or the before the flood of noah if i would be correct it's when the animals are are going up the 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 ramp to the ark uh, they're two by two and seven by seven, and and this is your first image. It's it's labeled the great flood, and Noah builds the ark. Remember the fall of man, first sin, uh, the first sin that happened in, in in Genesis, the first couple chapters. I think chapter three. Uh, there's there's ten generations from Adam to Noah, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Some of the right before him, but um, God saw again. I'm going to kind of reference back to what we just talked about. The law of first mention. God saw how man had regressed into complete evil, and there was the first mention of repentance. God decides to destroy the evil man and all of the things that were evil on the earth. Uh, that anything that was associated with evil. And in doing so, God's made this decision, and he instructs Noah to begin building the ark in a specific way and design, very specific. Uh, remember that. I need you to tie into the specifics of the, of the ark. Um, God gave a lot of detail, okay? He tells Noah how he's going to destroy man. God establishes a covenant, a promise with stipulations. That's what a covenant is. It's not just a God's made a promise and then we can do whatever we want and God's promise is going to stand either way. It is the truth that no matter what we do, God's promise is always going to stand. But if we want to partake in them, we must adhere to the stipulations that he um, set in place. So he, he establishes a covenant with Noah and he tells him to fill the ark. This is Genesis 6, 18 through 21. Unclean animals, two by two, and clean animals, seven by seven. Um, this is a, a premonition or a uh, an understanding the seven by seven of the clean animals is that Noah's going to have something to uh, to sacrifice when he gets off the ark and I'm pretty sure Noah knew that Noah did in, end up getting and doing exactly uh, what God had, had instructed Genesis chapter 6 verse 22 and we see that if we look at this picture, you can't really see all the details. It's just a little image. But we know that because of the scripture that Noah and his wife entered the ark, Shem and his wife, Ham and his wife, and Japheth and his wife. Eight people entered into this ark. Um, many people could have entered into the ark, presumably, but only eight did. Okay, um, It began to rain from the sky, and water also erupted from the earth for 40 days. Genesis chapter 7, verse 17. And the water stopped about 20 feet above the tallest mountain. God uh, remembered Noah and his family, and he caused the water to begin to recede. He, God has, at this point, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 8, verse 1, God has completed his process of repentance. He has um, told Noah what exactly to do. Noah's got his family on this ark. The waters has ha, have risen to the point that all other things, all evil in this world has been destroyed. Um, some, some days go by, time goes by, and they eventually find dry land, and Noah built an altar, an altar and sacrifice to God. Remember that seven by seven of the clean animals? God, he had to have something to sacrifice to God. This is in Genesis 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 20. Um, God then promises with the rainbow that he will never destroy the earth and its inhabitants like that again. So, he that, that that's the the story of Noah. That's what happened. That was the uh, 
the outcome of God's repentance. It was it was a lot of steps and tasks, and it was a big deal. It wasn't just God. It, he didn't stop at just the understanding of, of sin. If he would have, then sin would have never been destroyed. Evil would have never been destroyed. He didn't even just stop at grieving. Because if, if he had just stopped at grieving, he would have never given Noah the instructions to build the ark. It was, it was, the, it was the full process of repentance that, made, that caused God to, uh, to instruct Noah to build that ark. Hebrews 11, verses 6 and 7 says this, Without faith is, is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and made, and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. This is an interesting scripture here. So obviously we've all heard Hebrews 11 and 6. It's been a part of our, uh, our Bible learning since we were kids. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Uh, this is talking about the fact that Noah was faithful. Uh, Noah had some the qualities of faith within him and he believed in God so God chose Noah but this is where I wanted to talk about I want to specifically rein in on verse 7 by faith Noah this faith that God that Noah had for God because of his faith he was warned I think that's interesting remember we we I talked about the the scripture oh here it is look I did put it in my notes ha <laughs> Psalms 19, 119 and 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. So, so just like Noah was warned of God, when we read the Scripture, we can be warned of God through the Scripture, through the passages that we read where God is, is, is warning us about sin and about what we should repent over. This is uh, a big... There's a, there, Oh, I could preach or teach on this Scripture a, a lot, but by being warned of God is... Things not seen as of yet moved with fear. Here, here's the thing. I think what we've lost a lot in our Christianity and religion today is the fear of God. We, we, we don't believe that God really is going to destroy sin it, it, it one day. Now, God is not just reaching down and smiting people uh, anymore, per se. But, you know, a lot of times sin in our life is we, we reap the benefit of it. Or, well, we reap the detriment of it. There's no benefit to sin, only for a moment, I guess the Scripture says. But the the truth is is that we, we don't have the fear of sin that we used to have. That I guess what I, maybe I would say our grandparents and the generations before us, they were fearful of the Lord, and they, were, they wanted to please Him. And they, you know, and maybe we need to do some studies on the fear of the Lord. Maybe I can do that one day. I, I have studied a little bit. But because of this fear, because of the warning and because of the fear of God, he prepared an ark. Noah did. And there, there's, some, there's some power in this scripture. He, because of fear, because of warning, he built an ark to the saving of his house. He was actually able to be a part of the salvation of his family. Now, I know that um, salvation is through Jesus, and I know that I have no power to to make it happen. But I also understand that there's something inherently in me as the leader of my home, that I do have the, the power. God has ordained me with, with the power to, 
be a part of the saving of my home if I if I will transfer the warning that God gives me and the fear that the Lord puts upon me into my children I can I can help them to be saved now again Jesus is going to do the ultimate work through faith I get that but I still have just like Noah I believe that that I have as the leader of my home a power an authority to help my family be saved and you do too if you're the leader of your home okay I don't think that's sacrilegious or anti-biblical. I mean, you can read it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. If you're faithful, then you partake in the same things that Noah partook of. Um, Hebrews 4 and 12 says this. I've already read it once, but let's read it again. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Again, I'm just kind of going back over the warning where God warns us of things. Um, here, here's, a, here's a big one. First Peter 3 and 20. Uh, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Here's another scripture you could just probably teach and preach on for a while. Um, we, we, can, we can be disobedient, right? So there were, there were a bunch of people in the Old Testament who were disobedient. There's a bunch of people that are disobedient now. And um, you see, God, this is a whole other scripture about Noah and God warning him. Then it says that the ark was preparing. Um, so God gave Noah a little bit of time, uh, some leniency. He says, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth, and, and now you have uh, some time to, to build this ark, to, to repent. And I think that's for us a lot of times. We, we're, we're, we begin to read the scripture, and we're, we're starting to understand that something we're doing might be wrong and that we need to repent, but we're not quite ready to repent of it. I do believe that God has some mercy on us and has, um, I do believe that the Lord gives us a little bit of time. Now, I, I don't think it's going to be 120 years like it was in the, Noah, in the days of Noah, but I, I think, how well, you know, I guess let me tell you my personal story here. It took me some months from the time I started understanding that drinking was bad to the time that I actually finally got rid of it. It took me some years from the time I realized that pornography was bad to the time I actually got rid of it. I believe God had mercy on me. I did want to repent, and I was trying to repent, and I was understanding and learning and getting better, but it still took some time. There were other things. Uh, the moment I, I found out about them, that I, I learned that certain certain things was, was a sin that God didn't want me to do. I haven't done it since. And so, you know, how do I explain all that? I really don't know. Um, maybe God delivers from certain things immediately and other things I've got to kind of work myself through uh, as a proof to myself that I can. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, God... I do believe who there's his merciful that from the moment he he warns us of something he's going to give us some time uh, to prepare and to build the ark and to repent in in, in doing that. Uh, another concept on the end of the scripture here, um, God says that where in few that is eight souls were saved by water. Water was important in the salvation of his fam of the family of Noah. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to move that on in. But remember that. They were saved by water. And then again, there was only eight. God's not about big numbers. He's about obedience. So don't ever think that just because the, you know, there's a there's some doctrines out there, once saved, always saved. And there's, you know, this the Jesus movement but, but where it's 
simply because Jesus did the work. Everybody's now saved. Jesus already died on the cross. And, and, and that's just not true. God is, everybody's not going to heaven. I hate to say it. I'm grieved at that, but that's just the truth. So this is repentance in, in Noah's, uh, in the account of Noah. God establishes it as a, as a very basic definition. And then through literal repentance and through a, a spiritual understanding of repentance, we, we have the, the story of Noah. The next thing that we see, if you continue reading on through your Bible, is the Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 24 says this, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up to God by the reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. So now if you're going to look at that image, look at that image again that we're talking about. We've got Noah at the top left, and then right below him we've got an image here of Moses with his staff and the people of Israel standing behind him looking on. Now, this image here is going to be uh, directly after all of the plagues. We've got ten plagues in the Exodus, um, in Egypt, excuse me, and Egypt is a type and shadow of the world, of what's something that we're supposed to separate from, something that holds us bond, in bond, um, and, and anybody who's bound by this world would know, uh, you know, I've got friends who literally spend their whole life, every dime they make, uh, supporting a uh, an endeavor in this world, uh, whether it be for fun or whether it be for work or, or whatever it may be, they they spend every waking moment of their life, and this this thing will never pay them back. It's not, you know, uh, I don't even want to give examples because I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not really out to do that, but uh, th- there's people out there that will give their whole life to these things, and it will not pay them back, and it's got them in bonds, uh, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. But that's what Egypt is is a type of. These the people of Israel were supposed to be free, and they were supposed to be uh, worshiping God and sacrificing to Him. And in sacrifice to God, there there's always a benefit to that. But they find themselves in bonds, and so they cry out to God. They this is another huge aspect of repentance. You know, there's a point in your repentance where you're going to have to realize that some, you're going to see that something's wrong, you're going to be grieved, and you're going to decide that you've got to destroy it, and you've, you're going to have to cry out to God for help in some scenarios, most scenarios. So this is what the people of Israel did. They cried out to him, and God remembered his covenants, his promises that he had made, and, and so he goes to help them. He sends the man Moses, the preacher, and he he sends ten plagues, blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and eventually the firstborn of the people of, of, of Egypt. All of these were designed to attack the gods of the world at that time. You know, Egypt, Egyptians, they worshipped alligators and frogs, and they worshipped the Nile River, and they worshipped the sun, and, and, and all of these things that, that they worship, God comes in and destroys it. They, they, they worship frogs, and so God says, hey, I can make frogs reproduce, and I can make them so annoying that, you know, uh, he, they worshipped their bulls, and they worshipped some. The, the sun, so God causes the sun to be blotted out and there'd be nothing but darkness, okay? Um, they worshiped the life of their of, of their rulers, and so God calls that even the, the life of one of the rulers, the firstborn of the Pharaoh, to die. 
this was all caused and it was designed to cause the the Christians or the Israelites at that time. We, we're going to put ourselves in the place of, of Israelites as Christians. It was designed to to cause them to disconnect with Egypt. Remember, what is Egypt? Look, what is it to you? Egypt's something different to everybody. Um, for me, it was partying and drugs and alcohol. Um, that was my Egypt. That was my bonds that, you know, at, at the beginning felt great. When, they, when You remember the people of Israel? When they first got to Egypt, they got to go move to Goshen, and they, they had the best of everything, and they had plenty of food. And Pharaoh said, yeah, you know, y'all, you'll be over my cattle, and y'all are going to make a lot of money. But before you know it, they're in bonds. That's the way our sin works today. Um, so, so it was caused to, uh, to disconnect them from Egypt. Let's read some instructions to the Israelites. This is Exodus uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before uh, Pi-hi-haroth. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever read that word before. Anyway, speaking of the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before this place, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal, before it shall, before it shall you encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. So they are to turn. And that essentially means repent. They're to turn around. That's a, a major concept or a part of repentance is the, is the 180 degree turn away from sin. God instructs his people to leave Egypt. And uh, when you begin to separate yourself, this, this, is, this is big here. Let's read verse 3 again. Pharaoh would say of the children, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. They're, they're trying to get out of Egypt They've left Egypt, and now they've found themselves basically between a rock and a hard place, and the world knew it. A lot of times, this is what's going to happen to us when we try to come out of our sin and we start trying to live right. We start looking like a Pentecostal even. I know that's so controversial to the world, Um, but they're they're going to talk about you. They're going to say, you know, how he or she, you, they're gone too far. Uh, they're never going to get be able to get out of the mess that they're in. They're they're locked in. They're they're addicted. They're this. They're that. The world's going to run their mouth and try to uh, try to discourage you from doing what you know to do. It's they're they're always going to have something negative to say about the church and about your desire to live for God. Um, you know, I had somebody tell me. Um, actually, they didn't tell me. They didn't have the guts to tell me, but they told a family member of mine. Um, and, and sad because this is a family member. So one family member saying to another that they would rather me be a drunk than be a Pentecostal. You know, people are gonna say stuff about you. People are going to to run their mouth, and they're gonna they're they're gonna try to justify their own sin by cutting you down whenever you try to come out of it. But I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, if you're coming out of sin right now, if you're doing your best to to leave the world behind, if you've cried and you're deciding to turn, keep going. Because this is what the Lord says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord." And they did so. So this is what's going to happen whenever somebody begins to speak against you and tell you that you can't make it and that you won't make it and that the church is bad and all. You know, you you start trying to live for God and start coming to a Pentecostal church for sure, and they're going to run a 
run their mouth about every um, about every rumor and about all the things that they've heard again from testimony episodes that they don't know anything about they're they're going to try to do this but see god promises here in verse 4 that he's going to harden pharaoh's heart the purpose of it that god will be honored upon pharaoh upon all his hosts that the world's going to know the Egyptians are going to know that he is the Lord so when you come out of your sin when you get better when you repent when you when you get some things right and you start uh, living for God you know what's going to happen those people that ran their mouth about you and that talked negatively about you God's going to get the glory in that and they're going to know that God is God they may not admit it and they probably will never admit it. But there's, you know what, after a couple of years, people quit running their mouth about me. At first they thought it was a stage. At first they thought it was just a, a phase maybe that I was just, you know, I was going to church because I was, it was rumored that I was in trouble and that I didn't want to, you know, get in trouble. So I was going to go to church long enough to let my, my record, you know, all that die down. And, you know, I wasn't in trouble. I I. I I was I was very good at covering up my my sin. But, you know, eventually all that dies out, dies out and and now 6 years later most of the people that said those things now understand that that God is the one getting the glory. And again, they may not admit it, but it's the truth anyhow. Uh, they know that to be truth in their in their souls. Let's continue on as I get off that soapbox. Pharaoh pursues the Israelites. Let's let's talk about Exodus. Uh, let's go a little bit further. Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? Why have we set Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the king of Israel. The children of Israel went out with an high hand. You know, the world that you leave, and here's just one more reminder, the world that you leave behind or attempt to leave behind is going to try to follow you. It's going to try to follow you in the church. It's going to try to come up with, you know, if you've got tickets in the world, tickets are not just going to go away you know, automatically. If you've got problems in the world, if you've not paid your bills, if you've, you know, some of these things are not just going to go away. And they're not following you to help you. They're following you to destroy you. Um, and I'm not, when I read this scripture, I'm not going to promise you that if you change your life around and, and get in church that, you know, if you've got tickets and, and you've got, you know, charges against you because of your lifestyle, that they're just going to go away. I, I have, I know many stories and many testimonies of that actually happening, but that's not something that I can promise to you. Um, I, I know it can happen, however. But anyway, the world's going to try to follow you. There's, this is verse 9. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea. So now the, the, the people of Israel, this is where we're at. The people of Israel are right by the sea, the, the Red Sea, and then they've got the Israel, excuse me, the Egyptians behind them. They're in this rock, in between this rock and hard place. They're, they're trying to get away. They're trying to separate themselves, but they, they can't. They're, they're stuck. 
Uh, let's read verse 10 uh, through 12. And uh, when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Verse 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? They're, they're second-guessing. Can we use that term? They're, they're, they're in a position. They've repented of some hard things. They've got away from something that was destroying them. And, and now, because of it not being easy, they're kind of looking back and say why did you bring us out of why did you why did we leave out of this because you know now it's even worse there's not even any graves for us to die in here and that's the point you're not going to die there i want to encourage you that if you're coming out of sin and it seems worse now than it was when you were in sin it's because it's it's not done yet it's you you haven't you, you haven't finished the process you're repenting. You're starting repentance. Yes, but you're not done. Verse twelve is not the word. Uh, is is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, "Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians." For had it been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness? I'm sure there's somebody out here listening, or maybe you've been through this and you can attest to this in the past that you felt like, or you currently feel like, you're not going to make it. A friend of mine was telling me uh, just a couple of days ago of some things uh, from his past that that are still trying to get him. And again, I can't promise that those things are going to go away. But I do want to read this this scripture passage. And this, for anybody who's, maybe you've dealt with this before, maybe this will give you some closure. If you, more or less, this is for somebody that you're going to deal with in the future. This is called the Disciple Life Podcast because I, I want to teach you how I, I come, how I attack these questions or these issues when somebody comes to me and tells me that they're they're trying to leave something behind, but they're struggling. This this is the place I go. I go to Exodus and I and I tell this. This is Exodus fourteen verses thirteen through fourteen. The salvation of the Lord. Uh, this is let me let me explain again. The people are they're between the rock and a hard place. They're they're thinking that they're not going to make it. They're fearful. They're they're crying. They're fussing. They're arguing. Every emotion negative is coming out at this point. And and Moses says unto the people in verse thirteen, "Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace." I'm going to stop there for today. Uh, we're going to be continuing on with the next episode, and it's going to be talking about the tabernacle and what the tabernacle means for repentance. So a quick summary. Uh, first and foremost, we, we've talked about repentance in the story of Noah, and we've now talked about repentance in the, in the story of the, of the Exodus, uh, the leaving Egypt. We're, we're just beginning repentance. Um, we're, we're, we've got a lot to go. So probably at least two more episodes on repentance. Maybe maybe one. I might can finish it next week. But anyway, uh, as a general reminder, I'm going to post the picture that you need to be looking at on my Facebook page, and I'm going to attempt to figure out how to link it in, into the description of the podcast. All right. God bless you. I hope all is well. If you like this podcast, tell somebody about it.
Have a great day.